Well, good morning. Let me add my word of welcome to you. We're delighted that you're here. We want to welcome everyone worshiping with us online today as well. Now, we've been in a series on David. We finished that last week, and now we're starting a new series today for five weeks. I just want to do a little wrap-up, just real quick, a little little comment, really. It's not a whole wrap-up of what we've been doing about David, because many of you have commented on that. You remember that David had an affair with Bathsheba, and she got pregnant, and he had her husband killed. And because of that, God said in Second Samuel, out of our, your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. And boy, we saw calamity. First, David and Bathsheba's baby died. Then the second thing that happened was that David's son Amnon raped his daughter Tamar. Then the third thing was that Absalom killed Amnon for raping his sister. And then the fourth thing was Absalom tried to take over the kingdom and take it from David, and he was killed in the process. So you see how David's actions came back to haunt him there, and you see the calamity that the Bible speaks of because of it. But there's a twist to the story. If you think about it, who was the man that took David's place, the son that actually became the next king? It was Solomon. And Solomon, uh, who is his mother? Bathsheba. And God took a bad situation and he turned it into a good situation and he redeemed it. And you remember he asked Solomon what he wanted and Solomon said he wanted wisdom. And he said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you that and I'm going to give you riches and honor and long life. Even though you didn't ask for it, I'm going to give you all of those things. In fact, when Solomon was on the throne, They didn't have war. It was peaceful. All of the enemies of Israel, they became at peace because God granted him that. And so God redeems those situations. Now, what I want us to see about David as we wrap this up, because this is really a transition into this series, is this. We said he was human, right? And a lot of times he did the right thing. He did what God was calling him to do. He was faithful and obedient. But sometimes David messed up and it just makes me feel better. Doesn't it make you feel better to know that a man after God's own heart, a man who was able to go and defeat a giant when he was just a teenager, this is somebody that God used in a powerful way and he's not perfect. Look at the person next to you and say, you are not perfect. Go ahead and tell them that right now. And you know what they said back to you, right? And neither are you, so there, right? <clears throat> but, but doesn't it make you feel better to know that God's not looking for perfection? He's looking for pursuit. He wants people who will pursue him. And when we get to heaven, he will make us perfect there. Now, I want to ask you a question, Dan. I want you to think about this. What if you could just believe something and it could happen? Wouldn't that be great? In other words, I'm just going to believe that I'll be in great shape and I'm going to eat anything I want. I'm just going to believe that I'll lose weight and I'll just do whatever I want. Wouldn't it be great if you could just believe that? I wonder what it's like in heaven. You know, can you just have all the sweets you want in heaven and it never affects you in a bad way? Have you ever thought about that? These are the things that go through my mind. It's just the way I think, okay? And so, you know, I'm thinking about that. And, you know, then what about this? What about addictions? What if you've got an addiction? 
And what if you just said, you know, I'm just going to believe that this addiction is going to go away, okay? And that's all I'm going to do. And I'm going to continue to do the things that are a part of the addiction, but I'm just going to believe that it's not going to be there anymore. Or what about your finances? I'm just going to believe that I'm going to do a great job with my finances. I'm going to manage my money. I'm going to save money instead of going in debt. And none of that's happening, but I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to believe that it's happening, right? Well, what about school? You know, I go to school and I know that I'm supposed to prepare, right? And, and I'm supposed to do my homework. Oh, man. But you know what? I'm just going to believe that it's all going to be great. I'm just going to make good grades. It's just by osmosis. It's going to happen. Everything's going to be wonderful. You see, if believing were all it took to do something, then all we do is believe, but you know what? Today we're going to see that we don't have a lack of information in the world. We can believe a lot of things. We can know a lot of things. You go on social media. Laura says to me all the time, she'll ask me a question. She'll say, uh, hey, what, is, what about this? And I'll say, I don't know. Google it. Right? And she'll Google it. And I'll say, what, what did Google say? And she'll tell me. And then I'll say to her, hey, Laura, what about this? And she said, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I'll say, come on, Laura, you know the answer to this. Tell me what the answer is. And she says, I have no more information than I did the first time you asked me. And I told you, I do not know. So you know what Laura got me? She went out and bought me a new friend. And Alexa lives with us now. <laughs> Alexa's at our house, and you know, and I'll ask Laura, and she'll say, go ask Alexa. And so I'll go in there, and I'll ask Alexa stuff, and we'll just have a conversation, and we'll celebrate together, and Laura is just happy as a clam. Just go ahead and ask, because I'm a firstborn. I ask a lot of questions, and so, you know, Laura's go, why don't you go talk to Alexa? Really, give me a break, okay? But, you know, we learn things, but it doesn't matter how much information we have. It's what we do with it, really, that matters. And so when we believe but don't do our dream, don't come true. You have to work at it. Yeah, if you want to get in shape, you have to exercise. You have to train. If you're going to be in an Iron Man or some kind of triathlon thing or some kind of race or something, you have to train for those things to take place. It's not just going to happen. And so there's a difference in believing and doing, and that's true in our faith. You can believe it. You can believe in Jesus but he says, what are you doing about it? That's what matters. And so, you know, what we want to see is our faith grow. And that's really what this whole series is about. We want to see our faith grow. We want to see it get pumped up. We want to get it, see it get stronger and stronger. And if we don't do the things God calls us to do with our belief, then what happens is our faith becomes feeble and frail and fragile. Now, there were two things that amazed Jesus. And I want you to think about this. What could possibly amaze Jesus? He's the Son of God. He knows everything, right? But there were two things, the Bible says, that amazed Jesus. Do you remember what they were? The first one was whenever he saw a person who had great faith. He looked at them and he said, I've never seen faith like this. It didn't matter who they were. He just said, this Roman centurion, this guy's got faith. And he said, you know, the rest of us, you could learn something from this guy. And the other thing that amazed Jesus was when people had a lack of faith. One time he went to his hometown and he stood up and spoke. And the people there listened to him. 
And, you know, he was amazed. He couldn't do many miracles there, the Bible says. Why? Because of a lack of faith. Can you believe that? Even Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't do much with that one particular group of people. I've always felt good about that in the various churches that I've served. I'm the pastor of this church. I go in, I'm doing the best I can. And sometimes I shake my head and I say, I don't know what Jesus could do with this group right here. <laughs> Not you, it's other churches, okay? I'm talking about them. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus is amazed by those two things. And so what we want to do is we got a new series today, Faithful, F-U-L-L, Fueling your faith in an empty world, a world that's on empty. So if your world is on empty, if you're just kind of worn out and burnt out and spent and all that, we're going to be talking for five weeks about how to pump up your faith, how to have more faith, how to strengthen your faith. And he wants us to have a relational, active, interactive faith with him. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you just believe in me, no. He said, I want you to follow me. What did he tell the disciples? Just sit here and believe. It's okay. No, he said, I want you to follow. You have to do, so. you have to get up and leave. Leave what you're doing and go wherever God's calling you to go to do what he wants to do. But then what happened with the church is, the church came along and says, you know what? Let's just ask people to believe in him, okay? Because it's a lot easier and it's less demanding, and it's less intrusive, and it's safer. So we won't ask them to follow Jesus. What do you say? Do you believe? Okay, good. Yeah. Mm. And it doesn't require any change to believe. So what difference does it make if we believe? Jesus' invitation, he said, man, I want your faith to be so real that you live in a confidence in God. You have a confidence in God because you, you've seen him work in the past and you're going to see him work again and you just can't wait. You get a front row seat to watch him work all the time and you just can't wait to see what he's going to do. Now, God is most honored by our living, active, death-defying in spite of faith, right? You see, you're honored when somebody who's your friend stands up for you, right? And talks about, they think the best of you and they, they say you have great character. And when somebody else speaks up about you and says something ugly, then your friend comes along and they say, no, that's not what I know about them. I, I know them and that's not what I've seen in their life. First service today, I met this guy and he said, I've got some friends here today. And he introduced me to him and I said, you know, you've always told me that you had friends and now I get to meet them. Here they are right here. Two friends right there. That's great. Do you have friends? You know, everybody needs friends, don't they? And especially somebody to have their back and to stand up for them. Well, God is most honored when our faith is living and active and placed and based in him. Listen, even Satan believes in God. It doesn't take anything to believe. What it takes is, what am I going to do with what I believe? So I want you to try this every morning when you wake up. I want you to ask yourself this question. What would I do if I was confident that God was with me? 
Now, that can make a big difference. I want you to think about your own life. You know, I might start a new career. I, I might start a business. You know, in my dating life, I might shoot a little higher than that loser that I'm with right now. I might go for somebody really good, you know. I, I might do something a little bit different if I thought God was going to help me, if I thought he was with me and I had confidence in him, what would I do? Ten years old, I'm in vacation Bible school. I'm not even in my church. My grandmother takes me. The preacher gets up. He explains what it means to be a Christian. I don't know anybody, but I, I feel God calling me to come. The Holy Spirit's calling. And I get up. I get up out of the seat and I walk up front and I make a decision because I had confidence in the God that I was just meeting right then, but I believed he was with me. When I answered the call to the ministry, I was 21 years old. I was living in Tennessee. God brought me to Niceville, Florida, and there he just opened the door for me to work. I said, Lord, if you'll open the door, I'm going to go. And, and boy, I had to have confidence in God, not myself, but God to do that. And then when I married Laura, I had to have a lot of confidence then. Let me just tell you, because I outkicked my coverage. You know, Laura's daddy, the first thing he said to me, and the only thing he said to me for a long time was no. That's all he ever said to me. And then when we got married later on, he would introduce me as Miss Dorothy's son-in-law, okay? Does that let you know where I stood? And if they had had a dog that was still alive, I never would have married Laura because I couldn't have gotten past the dog and her daddy at the same time. But I managed to kind of work my way in there and work it out. And you know what? They said, you know, she's a homebody. She's an only child because that was her mother's only child, and, and her you know, siblings were grown, half-siblings were grown. And so there she is at home, and she just wanted to be home all the time. Her daddy had to put her in the car and make her go get her driver's license. Can you believe that? She just wanted to be home with her mom and dad. She went off to school at Middle Tennessee State, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. She came home every weekend just to be back home. She didn't even want to go off to college. She wanted to go right there. There wasn't one there, okay? But that's the way it was. And then she fell in love with me. And her mom and daddy looked, and she said, I love him, and I'm going to leave with him. And they said, must be God, because you know what? She's going to leave. She wouldn't leave with just anybody. She's going with that guy. She must really love him. That's a God thing for sure. And then when we went through infertility, and we wanted to have kids, and it didn't happen. And then we ended up going to the Children's Home Society in Pensacola, and they gave us the two children. We said, God, you got children for us. You just tell us who they are and where they are, and we'll take them. And you, know, and you get what you want when you custom order. You know what I'm saying? And they were here this morning in the first service. They were sitting on the front row with Laura. Laura sang in the choir, and then they went down. And then Collins, our granddaughter, have I mentioned her before? Collins, our granddaughter, was here. She made an appearance in the cafe. She came in there. We made pictures together. She got stuff to eat over there, and she said, Bye, buddy, I'm going to the beach. And then she left, okay? But they were at the first service this morning. We had a great time. One time she came to hear me at the beach service, and she listened to me today. She said, buddy, you did a good job when I got through. So, you know, that's pretty high praise there, right? Six-year-old tells you you did a good job. You must be doing something right. And then when we, when we led the church, Woodlawn, to leave, you know, I just got to the place where I was out of my element. It wasn't the right place for me anymore. I knew that God had something better. And so I just felt like I can't do this and I can't lead these people. And I don't know if they're going or not. I really didn't. But, I, Lord, I, I just, I'm not at peace. I can't do it. And you know what? You came along. But I never would have done that. 
if I didn't have confidence that God was with me. You see what I'm saying? So you apply it to your life. What in your life? You have confidence. God's with me. What could, he, what could you do with that? And then in this series, what fuels our facilities, the development of enduring faith? We want faith that endures, it grows, it gets stronger and stronger. We want our faith to be real at work, at home. We want it to be right there with us in trauma, in fear, in worry. We want it there with us when we're being challenged. What causes us to live with real world faith? Well, there are five things. And we're going to talk about one of them each day, each Sunday, this series, okay? Five things that really cause our faith to grow. Now, if you ask somebody, they wouldn't just list these five things, but they might tell you one of these five things, and somebody else might tell you one other of these five things. And so if you just think about it, it boils down to these five things. And the number one thing today is practical teaching. Practical teaching. Everybody's story says this. You know, I went and they just had this way of explaining the Bible to me and I understood it. And all of a sudden, I had the application. Now I knew what I was supposed to do with it. Now I understood it. So it made all the difference for me in my life. And so application makes a huge difference. And when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. You see, our active faith is I'm going to step out and believe in God. I'm going to do what he calls me to do. And then God helps me be victorious. And then I look back at that and I go, you know, that's where our faith intersected together. I was right in lockstep with God and he led me to be victorious and accomplished. I couldn't do it myself, but he did it through me. And so that's what we want to see happen. Our faithfulness, God's faithfulness intersects together. Now, faith is like a muscle. You have to exercise your faith for it to grow. Anybody in here exercise? There's nobody in here who exercises. Okay, we're going to change this series altogether then. I, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go and take up another topic right now. How many of you exercise? How many of you are able to exercise and raise your hand to do that, to let me know? Okay, well, first you have to wake up, and then you can raise your hand, okay? Well, faith is a muscle. And you got to work that muscle. When you do that, it grows. And you know that's true. When you've stepped out on faith and you've done what God calls you to do and you see him come up beside you and help you, what do you do? Your faith grows and it gets stronger then, right? And so we learn to trust God and it just gets bigger and bigger. Now, God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. So how can we really experience God, you know? How do you see God? How do you hear God? How do you feel? Well, you can experience God's faithfulness. Because when you experience God's faithfulness, that's a confirmation. There really is a God. He really is paying attention. I mean, I've had some answers to prayer where I just had to take my shoes off. You're on holy ground. And I just said, Lord, man, only you could do this. And so it's through his faithfulness. We hear him. We see him. We experience him. We have a relationship with him. And so the spirit comes alive in us, his spirit. Remember, trust is actually the currency of relationship. I, I'm going to trust God and it's going to build and we're just going to get closer and closer in relationship to one another. And Jesus had this theme in his ministry. And the theme was this. He was always pushing the disciples to do something. You know why? 
because Jesus only had three years in his ministry. I stayed in Navarre, Florida from the time I was 29 to 33. I was there 20 years, but in four years, 29 to 33, when I was 33 on Easter, it occurred to me that Jesus died when he was 33. And I thought to myself, I can't imagine Good Friday being my last day. I'm a young man. I got my whole life ahead of me. And I thought about Jesus. And Jesus knew he only had three years. He knew his time was limited. And he said, you know what I got to do? I got to make disciples and I got to make them fast. I got to get these guys to step out so that they can experience God in a real way. So that when I'm gone, man, they will go out and they will reach the world. Because they really believe and they do something with their belief. And so that's what he did. And the Sermon on the Mount was part of that. And it was real challenging, but it was real practical. And he gave a new concept because the concept before was everybody has power. Everybody who has the resources, everybody who has a position, they can leverage all of their power and then get everybody else to serve them. And Jesus came along and said, nope, we're going to turn the world upside down. We're going to do it all totally different. And he says, what we're going to do is this. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to be the one with all the resources and all the power and all the authority, but I am going to serve you. And I'm going to teach you by example what I want you to do in serving other people. So he taught people about giving. He said, listen, I want you to learn how to give, and I want you to be a generous giver. I want you to have compassion for other people. He taught them about forgiveness. These were concepts that they didn't really understand back then. He taught them you don't have to worry about things. You can pray about things and turn them over to me, and I'll take them, and I got them. He said, I want you to do something radical. I want you to pray for your enemies. And they said, what did he say? Because they lived in the Old Testament world. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if you cross me, I'm going to get you back and knock you into the middle of next week. That's what it was. And Jesus said, no, I want you to pray for them. And then he said, you know what? If there's somebody else who's got a little speck in their eye, he said, don't be judging them and pointing at them and telling them to get straightened out. He said, just get that big log out of your eye. You go take care of yourself. You got enough to take care of. Just look in the mirror. You got enough to take care of with yourself. Don't worry about trying to tell somebody else first. And then he said, you can't be right with God if you're not right with your brothers and sisters. He said, if you want a relationship that's vertical with me, you got to be horizontal with them. You got to get right with them as well. And Jesus's invitation was what? Follow me, yes. Why, yes. Now, we're starting to get it. He said, he said, believe in me? Nay, nay. He said, follow me, right? And the church, they just said, you know, you can believe. You don't have to follow. But Jesus said, no, that's not right. And then he said, I want your life to get better because you're so faithful in following me. God says, trust me. See, if we trust Jesus... What he knew was we would learn to trust God also, right? And Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Follow me. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, let's pause right there. What did he say next? And believes them, remembers them, writes them down, right? Agrees with them, feels convicted by them. That's not what he said. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into 
practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock, okay? Now, you think about that today, and in today's world, if you, if you were trying to build your house on a rock, it might not work out, okay? Because what do you have to do to build a house? You have to dig a foundation. We've got a house in Birmingham. When we were looking for houses, we went up there, and we went in yards up there. And you know what they got in Birmingham? They got rocks in Birmingham. I mean, they got big rocks. And so you might have a yard out there, and then there's just this big rock that comes up out of the ground. And you can't grow grass over a rock. It's just there. So it's just part of the landscape. And they just say, come look at my pretty rocks. And then I've got grass around them, okay? And sometimes they're great big rocks. I mean, that's just what happens. And so you've got to take dynamite and blast them out so you can dig the foundation so you can build a house. So you're scratching your head, and you're trying to figure it out. Back in those days, it wasn't like that because if they had a rock, they could just start building on top of it. And man, it was going to be solid. It was going to be there. And he goes through this whole story about the wise man who he builds his house on a rock. And what he's saying is, I want you to build your foundation of faith in me. And then when the floods come, it'll stand. It'll be right there. It'll make it through. You don't have to do it. He said, I want you to listen. I want you to follow. And if you'll do what I tell you to, you'll be rewarded. It says in the Bible that the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them in to practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, it's always interesting to me when I preach on that particular phrase when I'm preaching in Florida. Because we don't have a lot of rocks in Florida, do we? If we got them, we brought them from Birmingham, right? Because it's just a lot of sand down here. But you know what? He's saying, listen, it's, a, it's, your, it's a, an example of your faith. I want you to have your faith solid in me. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Look at the person next to you and say, do what it says, right? Because you're going to have to grow. That's right. And then the scripture says in James, it says this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's right. So over and over again, you see this. You see the wise man. You see the foolish man. You see the house on the rock, the house on the sand. You see the faith that's built on a foundation that will stand and one that won't because it's not on a good foundation. And then here's another thing you see. When Jesus would speak, crowds were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because Jesus spoke like nobody else. He spoke with authority. He didn't just get up and tell you what somebody else said, read the scripture like they did in the temple. He spoke the word of God. He, he just knew it and he shared it and they were amazed. And so what happened was that their faithfulness and God's faithfulness intersected together and they just grew closer to God. And sometimes what he said upset people. And sometimes they got mad. One time when Jesus got through speaking, they started to push him off a cliff. I've always felt really good about that because for 45 years I've been preaching and up until this date, 
Nobody has ever tried to push me off a cliff. Most of my ministry, I'll have to admit, I spent in Florida. There's not a lot of cliffs in Florida, in case you didn't know that, okay? And God says, I want you to trust and do, and application makes all the difference. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Yay! All right, here's the deal. John Wesley preached a sermon one time, and he talked about the almost Christian. And what he was talking about was he was talking about himself because he, he was a scholar. He studied the Bible. He knew what it meant uh, later on to become a Christian, but he wasn't one yet, and so he did not know. And, and in that sermon, he contrasts the almost Christian with the altogether Christian. And once he went to Aldersgate Street and he heard him reading the scripture at night and he felt his heart strangely warmed. He said, I got a knowledge of God, but now I got a faith experience with God. Then he became a Christian and God started really giving him fruit in his ministry. He didn't have any fruit before because he didn't have anything to offer. And the Methodist church was born out of what his faithfulness was. He didn't set out to start a whole new church. He just said, I'm going to be faithful and obedient to what God calls me to do, and I'm going to do it. And that's what happened because of it. And because he was willing to do that, God used him in a really powerful way. Now, here's what God calls each one of us to do. He calls us to be faithful and obedient and do what he says, and then we just trust him for the results. Boy, doesn't that take the pressure off? I'm not responsible for the results. I'm just supposed to be faithful and obedient. And God does the rest. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. I can't make people turn their car in here on Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit can draw people here and they can come. And they can speak through friends that talk to their friends and invite them. And God can use that in a powerful way. So here's what I want you to see. The world can never fuel our faith. Amen. Only God can. We have to have His Holy Spirit filling us. And when His Holy Spirit fills us, then we're not doing life on our own. We're not by ourselves. We're not the Lone Ranger. Now we've got His help to accomplish His purposes and do it for His glory. We're going to pick it up there next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You for teaching us that faith is active. I pray that we might learn from what You teach, from what Jesus taught, and we might put it into action, I pray in his name. And all God's children said...